Hello there and welcome to Belfast High History Podcast. My name is John Wishart and today's topic is the Sunningdale Agreement. So you may remember back in 1972 that direct rule was taken over. So Northern Ireland ruled directly from Westminster. This, however, as we have said before, was meant to be a temporary solution. Northern Ireland could not be continued to be ruled directly from Westminster. So what happened was the British government decided to try to create an agreed way forward for both sides. So what they wanted to do was create an assembly and an executive. An executive would be a government. And they wanted an assembly and executive that be agreed with everybody. What they wanted to do for this new system was introduce a number of different aspects to it to try to ensure that it would be accepted by both sides. First of all, there would be an agreed form of voting. This would be proportional representation or PR. So proportional representation is much fairer. It allows for uh, a much uh, greater spread of political parties and support. They also wanted the executive, the government, to be made up of both unionists and nationalists, so it should not have elements of majority rule again, because that would not be accepted. There also had to be some form of Irish dimension, north-south linkage, because they knew the nationalists could not move forward with any form of uh, assembly that didn't have some form of link with the Republic of Ireland. They also wanted to retain the power of having uh, control of like um, policing and justice because they knew this was a power that was highly controversial. So what were the reactions to these initial British government proposals? Well, they were mixed. You had, first of all, the Irish government and the nationalists being generally in favour of what was being considered. They liked the idea of an Irish dimension, obviously. They also liked the idea of proportional representation and some form of agreed power sharing. This was clearly a step forward and something they could buy into. So they were in favour of these initial proposals. Unionists, however, were deeply, deeply split. You had Brian Faulkner, the former Prime Minister, official Unionist Party leader. He was generally in favour, he was generally pragmatic and prepared to go along with some of these proposals because he needed a way out of, out of uh, direct rule. Direct rule was in, of no interest to unionists and it gave them no power whatsoever. At least some form of a, you know, a way forward uh, would give unionists back the power that they needed. So he's prepared to go along with what was being considered initially. However, you also had a, a large number of unionists who were deeply opposed to what was being considered these are die-hard unionists who believe that any form of um, any form of uh, agreement was kind of tantamount to actually leading towards United Ireland. So you have various groups within this. You have some of Faulkner's party, who were um, the more hardline people in this party, who were against any form of agreement. So uh, you have uh, Ulster Vanguard, the Vanguard Unionist Progressive Party, was led by um, you know official Unionist Party member William Craig who were deeply angry at the proposals. You also had the um, DUP, who were obviously very angry as well too. And you had quite a lot of the Orange Order, who 
who were angry at any form of Irish dimension in particular, which really raised the hackles of quite a lot of unionists. Together, what they decided to do was form a united opposition. Because there are so, such a, a broad a range of people and groups, they decided to form together into the United Ulster Unionist Council, the Triple UUC, UUC, okay? So the United Ulster Unionist Council. And together they were formed to oppose any form of power sharing. The first big test for this new agreement and for these parties was the June 1973 election results. These would uh, test how much support pro-agreement and anti-agreement parties would have and whether these types of proposals would actually have any future whatsoever. So the June 1973 elections pitted all these different Northern Ireland parties against each other. So you had uh, all the pro-agreement parties first of all. So the Northern Ireland Labour Party, it had one seat you had the Lands Party, uh, it had eight seats. You had the SDLP, the Nationalists, who had 19 seats. But the big, big, big test was between those unionist parties, the anti-agreement Triple UC and the pro-agreement Faulkner Unionists. Who was going to come out on top? In the end, it was a very, very close call between these two. But it was highly symbolic as well too. So even if it was a couple of percent, it was going to be highly symbolic over who was uh, leading unionism. So Faulkner's unionists, the pro-agreement unionists, they had 29% of the vote and 24 seats. The Triple UC anti-unionists, well they had 32% of the vote and 26 seats. So there was only two seats in it, but the anti-agreement Triple UC had actually marginally claimed victory in the unionist camp. So what does this show? Well, if you add all those pro-agreement uh, votes together, you're well over 70% of the vote, so clearly there's a majority in favour of some form of agreement. However, the clear symbolic battleground was between unionism and the fact that the Triple UC had even got that very marginal victory showed that for unionism it was going to be a battle ahead over what sort of agreement was going to be chosen and whether unionists would actually support it. In late 1973, the Secretary of State, William Whitelaw, aimed to push this agreement across the line once and for all. And he announced his new executive, new executive for this new Northern Ireland Power Sharing Assembly. In that executive, you would have Brian Faulkner as the chief executive because he was in the largest party uh, from the official unionists. Uh, so he'd be the chief executive, almost like the prime minister. And his deputy would be a nationalist. It would be the SDLP leader, Jerry Fitt. They would also have a selection of ministries. So there would be six ministries would be controlled by the Unionist Party. You would have four ministries controlled by the SDLP and you'd have one ministry controlled by the Lands Party. So these are directly proportional to the results of that June 1973 election. What was discussed as well too, as they headed towards the agreement, was this Irish dimension. And this is the highly controversial part of this whole agreement. So, Brian Faulkner really felt that this Irish dimension was purely symbolic. It was purely there to try to uh, keep the nationalists on board, but he, he believed that it would have no power, it would be a, a sideshow, and it would really have no impact on Northern Ireland constitutionally. 
The nationalists, however, as you might expect, they believed the opposite. They believed that this would have to have some form of power. It would have a, a lot more. Uh, they would have a lot more say in the running of Northern Ireland, and it would be significant body. So there was, there was an element of disagreement about what this Irish dimension would be. And obviously this is the element as well too, which caused so much controversy and so much um, anger from anti-agreement unionists. So Ian Paisley and William Craig, they were invited along to the Sunningdale talks, um, but they were invited late and they, they refused obviously to join in the conference. The last part of the Sunningdale Agreement was governmental. The British government, as part of this, agreed not to oppose any form of Irish unification if the majority of people in Northern Ireland agreed that they wanted a United Ireland. So that's the element of consent. On the other side, though, the Irish government had to accept as well that Irish unity could only ever be achieved peacefully and through that consent as well of the Northern Irish people, okay, so through the consent of the people in Northern Ireland. So both sides agreed to this element of consent that United Ireland could happen if the people decide, um, and United Ireland would not happen until the people decide. So for both governments, they have to agree to that solution. They also announced that um, the issue of security, if they felt that the, um, the institution and the executives were working, uh, that they would in future perhaps uh, devolve the powers of security and justice back down uh, to this new assembly and executive. So on the 9th of December 1973, all sides, with the exception obviously of the Triple UC, uh, agreed to this signing deal agreement. This seemed to be a line in the sand, it seemed to be a major step forward uh, for Northern Ireland and certainly there was lots of hope, lots of optimism around it. However, there were elements, uh, underlying elements within this here that would lead to problems later on. There were still the concerted efforts of the UC that were determined to bring this agreement down. And there was also uh, different interpretations of uh, elements of the agreement which would cause perhaps problems in the future as well too, notably the Irish dimension. The Sunnydale Agreement of 1973 had appeared to be a Christmas 1973 gift to the people of Northern Ireland. This appeared to be the end of their troubles, the end of their destruction and violence and bloodshed that had went on over the past few years before. It seemed to be a line in the sand uh, and there's a certain amount of optimism uh, encouraged with this as well too. However, there were obviously underlying problems. There was that disagreement over what this Council of Ireland actually meant. There was the opposition of the Triple UC, and none of the paramilitary groups had signed up um, to this agreement whatsoever. So the Loyalists had clearly been against it. The Ulster Army Council um, had suggested that they would resist any form of Irish dimension. The Provisional IRA had shown what it thought because it blew up lots of bombs across London during this time. Uh, and it's very clear that uh, both sides, uh, both paramilitary sides, were deeply opposed to this. The executive in the new year immediately faced huge, huge challenges which showed that this was an upward struggle. First of all, on the 4th of January, 
1974, the Ulster Unionist Party, the ruling committee of that, had to vote on whether they would accept the Sunningdale Agreement. This was part of the process that they had internally, and although um, Brian Faulkner was the leader, uh, they still had to pass this here at an executive committee level. That was actually rejected, so it was rejected uh, by the um, Ulster Unionist Party Council, and this caused a huge amount of uh, issues. As a result of that, Brian Faulkner actually resigned as leader of the official Unionist Party. Um, but he still had um, uh, 19 out of the 21 Ulster Unionist um, Party Assembly members um, that were on his side. They were pro-Faulkner, pro-agreement um, Unionists. And that meant that he could actually stay on in the um, new Assembly. And this meant that it could actually be uh, kept going, which was actually a, a benefit. However, unfortunately for him, things started to get even worse because in February 1974, the uh, British Prime Minister um, decided he was going to call a snap election. So this in February 1974, remember it's only January that Faulkner had faced these challenges and now he faces a general election. And this is going to be a big test for, for unionism, unionism in particular. So in this test, it was very clear there was only one winner because um, all but one of the, the seats in Northern Ireland was won by the Triple UC um, candidates. Uh, it was very clear that um, there was a wipeout in terms of like pro Faulkner um, unionists and that the Triple UC was very much on an upward trend. Uh, it also resulted as well in Labour taking control under Harold Wilson in, um, in London. And this here would be uh, you know, quite difficult as well for unionists to, to stomach as well too, as the Labour Party was considered to be uh, much more in favour of nationalists. So Faulkner is facing a continual struggle, but things are going to get worse. So, poor Brian Faulkner had watched as the Triple UC candidates had triumphed at the Westminster elections. However, don't forget, these are Westminster elections. They are not local elections. So... They only got a selection of MPs. Um, in the whole ball game of things, that's not very significant. What would be more impressive would be if they did that at local level. But it meant that the uh, pro Faulkner unionists still had the balance of power uh, in the new assembly, the new executive. So uh, Faulkner was determined to make this work, more determined than ever. Uh, he really did um, get very angry about the Triple UC and their tactics against him. However, the Triple UC were emboldened by the election results. They were determined to bring this executive down, uh, the executive that they hated. So what they did was they formed uh, an Ulster Workers' Council. And the Ulster Workers' Council was a group of trade unionists, uh, anti-power sharing uh, unionist politicians, and even paramilitaries involved there as well too. And they are determined to bring this assembly down by the use of a general strike. So on the 14th of May, they organised this general strike to try to aim to bring down this government. At first, the strikes got very little uh, support, very little success. Uh, people go about their business as usual. However, the paramilitaries then get involved and they use a selection of intimidation and terror across Northern Ireland. They uh, have roadblocks and suddenly the, um, the strike begins to take real effect as people stop turning up to work. You have the power going down. You have um, petrol supplies running running low, and certainly um, Northern Ireland is brought to a standstill. Tensions are raised even more because there's a set of 
uh, bombs, loyalist bombs that go off in the Republic of Ireland, in Dublin and Monaghan, which kill up to, I think it's 27 people actually die in those bombings. Um, these are innocent people on the streets, they're, you know, random bombs. Uh, and 27 people, I think that was the largest loss of life up until the Oma bombing in 1998. So tensions were obviously at a, a huge uh, height at this time and Faulkner was going to have to try to get through this here. Um, the, the British Prime Minister, the new British Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, the Labour Prime Minister, was absolutely enraged by the tactics of this UWC. There were thousands of soldiers in the province and he decides that he's going to try to use those in order to break this strike and he appeals to the, the uh, army command to get these soldiers involved and try to open up the province again. The army command though really regard this as a, you know, as a political act and not as a, a terrorist action. So they uh, do not, um, they don't agree that this is something they can get involved in, which leaves the prime minister uh, stranded. He goes on television and takes a very angry, firm stance on what's happened. He uh, calls the UWC quite an inflammatory word, which is spongers. He regards them as being absolute spongers, taking money off the government and then opposing that same government that they you know, you know, purport to be loyal to. This absolutely <laughs> enrages the strikers who are more determined than ever to resist and to bring down the government. Um, and a lot of them wear sponges in their lapels as a result of this, and they are determined to bring the government down. Faulkner is left high and dry. He he's trying to appeal to the, the um, British government to try to negotiate with the UWC. British government refuse, as you may imagine. And in the end, he feels there's only one option open to him, and that is to resign. And on the 20th of May, he resigns as chief executive. You cannot have power sharing without one side of the um, of the uh, power sharing um, team there. So uh, because he resigns, the SDLP are also forced to um, take action there as well too. And power sharing is brought to an end at this point. UWC um, declared that the strike's over on the 29th of May, the day after, because they have achieved their exact, they have achieved their objective, which is to bring down the Southern Dale Agreement. Direct rule is reimposed, and Northern Ireland goes through decades, years and years and years of trying to find another solution. A solution that would actually, whenever you look at it in Good Friday Agreement, is reasonably close to what's actually on offer in Sunningdale. Thanks very much for listening.